Welcome to the OT Potential Podcast, where each week we review one influential OT-related journal article. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Sarah Lyon, OTRL. And I know that as occupational therapy practitioners, you have tons of urgent things that compete for your attention this week. So I'm super glad that you are joining us today to keep up with something that is really important, which is occupational therapy related research. It's been another good week here at OT Potential, and it's especially a good day today because it is my husband's birthday. He helps me with my podcast each week, so he is sitting right here, and happy birthday. I just got the thumbs up. On the OT Potential blog, we released a blog post that we've been working on for some time called How to Become an Occupational Therapist. This is a topic that I really wanted to cover because Honestly, I was really frustrated with the other information that is out there on becoming an occupational therapist. If you were to Google that, you would find this very sleek looking article that recommends that to become an occupational therapist, you get your associate's degree, your CODA degree, you work for several years, and then you bridge back to OT school. And that is definitely the career path that some people take, but it definitely should not be the default career path. I believe that if possible, that you should choose CODA or OT. They're both wonderful professions in their own right. And the most time efficient, money efficient way is to just go directly into those two programs. So anyways, we published this blog post that really walks through the decision points that are related to occupational therapy. And I hope that if you have someone in your life who is considering occupational therapy, that you will share this blog post. If you happen to run a website, I would love a link back to this blog post that will hopefully help me rank better on Google. And I would love to unseat this blog post at the top of the Google search that gives bad advice. I think it's really important that we are doing our best to recruit the right people into our profession. And Google is definitely a place where people are looking to learn about OT. And then for members of the OT Potential Club, our online journal club, we have had a fun week reviewing last week's article, but also looking at an example of a school-based occupational therapy note. I've always worked in adult rehab, so it's been really fun for me to see the similarities and differences between the kind of note I typically write and what we're seeing in the school. So if you're a member of the club and haven't seen this example note, I encourage you to jump on in and take a look. As a really nerdy update too, in the club we also included a picture of the research hierarchy pyramid that allows you to navigate to the different levels of evidence. And for me, this definitely added another layer of organization to our journal club and I hope that you also will find it helpful. And in my humble opinion, it's also a very pretty research hierarchy pyramid. So I hope that members of the club are enjoying it. Okay, so let's dive into our article for the week. I feel like each week I'm starting to preface the article by saying when you hear this article title, you are going to think, wow, this is very specific. It may not apply to me, but I really want to encourage you to hang in there because as in the previous weeks, we will start out really specific looking at the specific program, but it really does have broad implications for all of us that practice occupational therapy. So I encourage you to hang in there with me for the entire podcast. 
So the article title for this week is Play Project Home Consultation Intervention Program for Young Children with Autism Spectrum Disorders, colon, a randomized control trial. This article comes to us from the Journal of Developmental and Behavioral Pediatrics. Its impact factor is 2.39, which means it's one of the smaller journals that we've looked at in the recent weeks. By smaller, I mean its impact is lower than most journals that we look at. The article was published in 2014, and this article is ranked 28th on our list of the 50 most influential OT-related journal articles. So this journal article looks at a program for children with autism, but before we dive into that, I just want to step back and highlight that really any treatment that requires behavior change or skill development or brain rewiring there are two major factors that impact the ability of these patients to reach their potential. One is time. It typically takes a lot of time for the brain to rewire. And then the other factor is cost. If you're spending a lot of time in therapy, that cost is going to get very expensive. And this is a dilemma that children with autism face for their therapy. The National Research Council recommends that these children engage in intensive 15 to 25 hours per week treatment that also starts early in the child's life at that 18-month to 5-year window, and that this treatment should address the comprehensive needs of children with autism. For example, behavioral interventions that have good research behind them and provide this level of treatment can cost $30,000 to $60,000 per year per child, which is obviously a huge expense. And then the other interesting layer to this is that this early autism intervention is actually mandated by law in most states. So it makes sense that states and early intervention programs are exploring options that are more cost-effective per child. And that's where the PLAY program enters. PLAY stands for Play and Language for Autistic Youngsters. When it's spelled out, it's all capital letters. And it's technically called the PLAY Project Home Consultation. But throughout the rest of this podcast, I will just refer to it as PLAY. So in the PLAY model, trained consultants meet with parents to empower them to provide parent-mediated interventions that focus on improving parent-child interaction, child development, and autism symptomology. Consultants for this study made monthly three-hour visits over the course of 12 months. Play is intended to be completed in conjunction with the usual community services. So the idea is that a certain number of hours per week are being delivered through the traditional models in the early intervention and preschools, but then this extra parent-mediated therapy hopefully gets the children up to that target 25 hours per week. And then the average cost of play per year per child is $3,500 to $4,500. So that is obviously significantly less than the thirty dollars to $60,000 per year per child. Uh, and right there, you can see why this program has appeal for early intervention programs. The other thing I thought was really important to know about PLAY was that it is intended to support parents in purposefully engaging with their children 
for a minimum of two hours per day, which would add up to about 15 hours per week. So if you're shooting for that 25 hours per week of intervention, this time just spent with the parents would get you over halfway there, which is pretty significant in getting towards that goal. So we'll get into the details of the randomized control trial around the play program, but I do want to lead by saying that in this randomized control trial, the play intervention demonstrated substantial changes in the parent-child interaction without increasing parents' stress or depression. One of the concerns with the program was that it is putting that extra pressure on parents. So they were really careful to monitor their stress and depression levels uh, to make sure that it wasn't putting undue stress on them. So let's dive into what OTs need to know about the details of this study. For this study, 128 children with autism were randomly assigned to a treatment group which received the play intervention and usual community services versus the control group, which received community services only. All of this was kind of coordinated through the Easter Seals nonprofit, and you can read more about how that was structured in the journal article. I typically save information on what assessments were used for the online version of our journal club, but I am going to talk on the podcast about one of the important assessments that was used because it's going to inform the rest of our discussion. So one of the main assessments that was used was the Autism Diagnostic Observation Schedule which is abbreviated ADOS. Several assessments were used at each point of the research study, but this was one of the big assessments that was used to track improvement in autism symptomology. And we'll say a little bit more about this assessment in a little bit. And to give you a little more information about the PLAY project, the program utilizes the six functional developmental levels developed by Greenspan, developed by Greenspan, I think his first name was Stanley Greenspan, and these developmental levels should be pretty familiar to occupational therapists because they're also the basis for the DIR floor time program, which as a refresher stands for the Developmental Individual Difference and Relationship-Based Model. So the consultants and thereby the parents are trained on these levels. And then the consultants train parents using coaching, modeling, and video feedback in those monthly three-hour visits. There's a lot of details about this program. So if you are interested in learning more about the Play Project, I really encourage you to check out their website. They have a really nice website that kind of walks you through um, all of the information on there. The article also goes uh, more in depth to what this program looks like. So I encourage you also to read the article. So how was occupational therapy involved in this article? There were six play consultants that worked on this project. One was an occupational therapist, two were SLPs, and three were special educators. If you're interested in learning more about what the certification process looks like to become a play consultant, I encourage you to either check out the website or they also went through it in detail in the article. The other way that occupational therapy would have been hypothetically involved was that we would have been a part of those usual community services that both the treatment group received as well as the control group. Now, I definitely felt like it was a weakness of the article in that they didn't track the usual community services very well. 
it looks like they left this up to parent report and that the reporting just didn't have the detail that we would have liked it to have had. So we really don't know how much occupational therapy, speech therapy, or other services were provided. Which segues well into my next talking point, which was what was missing from this article slash what was kind of funky about this article. Uh, For me, as I was reading this article, I definitely read it with more caution than the other articles that we have reviewed. Uh, Like I said at the beginning, this was from a journal that has a smaller impact factor. So that's just something to be aware of. It doesn't mean the research is bad, but just something to be aware of. But one thing that stood out to me right away was that the chief investigator, Richard Solomon, is actually the guy who created the play model. And I don't know this for sure, but I'm making the assumption that he maybe benefits financially from the use of the play model. And the article does talk about how they tried to control for that bias and they brought in some outside investigators to actually crunch the numbers. Um, But I'm definitely skeptical that the bias could be fully removed from this article since the creator of the program is the chief investigator. The other thing that was funky that was not the fault of the design of the trial, but just like a random thing that happened with the assessment, is the article discusses how the results from the ADOS, that autism diagnostic observation schedule that I mentioned, were almost too good to be true in that from the clinical experience of the authors, that the results just honestly didn't seem possible. 53% of the children who started with the milder diagnosis of ASD improved significantly enough over the course of this trial to be categorized by the ADOS as no longer on the autism spectrum, which the article just reiterates that these results do not align with the clinical experience of those who were on the ground and working with these children. And so the funky thing that happened was right as this research was being conducted and they were in the middle of the trial, the ADOS actually released addition to the ADOS 2. And this instrument is hopefully corrected for some of the problems that the researchers actually saw in this trial. Um, I'm not personally familiar with this scale, but it is an expensive one. It would cost your clinic Uh, In that $2,000 to $3,000 range, it takes 40 to 60 minutes to administer. And on the website for the new version, it does say that it allows you to accurately assess and diagnose autism spectrum disorders across age, developmental level, and language skills. So it's definitely unfortunate that this study was conducted with the previous version of the ADOS and not this new version. And then the last thing in our what was missing, what was funky about this article, I really would have liked to have seen a control group that received a similar amount of therapy to the treatment group. For example, know how this program would stack up against that more expensive behavioral intervention that we mentioned at the beginning. So what are my takeaways for occupational therapists from this article? These are my personal takeaways. They were not discussed in the discussion of this article. Um, These are just my own personal musings and hopefully something to get the conversation started for us in our journal club. So my first takeaway is this. 
even though this study was specific to autism, the article really hits on a prevalent problem that we are seeing. We know that it takes a lot of time for our patients to see desired outcomes, and we simply don't have that amount of time in our actual therapy sessions. Whether we are talking about stroke rehab or autism intervention, it is prevalent in the research that it takes a lot of time and or repetitions to really see those desired outcomes. And as I mentioned, that time and number of repetitions is just not what we're doing in our therapy sessions currently. So several avenues are being explored to bridge this gap. For example, in stroke rehab, we've seen lots of technology options that are being explored to help patients get the extra rehab that they need either in the home or in their actual therapy session where they're using uh, something like robot-assisted technology. I think that for children, this model of working with parents as an adjunct to therapy really makes a lot of sense as the attachment with the parental figure is so vital at this age. I look at my own three-year-old and I feel like I would definitely prefer that if he needed that 25 hours per week of intervention, that I would be a part of that. So I think that this avenue that they're taking actually makes a lot of sense. Which leads into my second takeaway which is, I wonder if we should begin thinking of ourselves as consultants and partnering with those people who are on the home front for our patients. For me, this seems like a paradigm shift where we are equally as concerned with what the patient is doing outside of therapy, maybe even more so concerned with what's happening outside of therapy than with what's happening in our actual therapy sessions. And the play project is just a great example of that where those therapists are going into the home for those three hours really to prep the parents for the entire month ahead and to give them feedback on what they can be doing on the home. They're really there in that consultant model. And it seems highly likely that this model of therapy where the therapist is playing more of that consultant role, I can see that model really continuing to grow. A connection that I draw to this is there is that new CPT code for therapists that has to do with remote monitoring. So through technology, therapists can be reimbursed for kind of checking in with their patients on what they're doing in the home, uh, which I would, again, kind of say is more of that consultant model to make sure that what they're doing in the home reflects what should be going on in their larger therapy program. And actually, one of our group members, Lauren Sheehan, wrote an article about this remote monitoring CPT code for WebPT, so I'll definitely be sure to link to that in our journal club. And my final takeaway from this research article is simply that research is not perfect. It's probably not that often that we're going to see an article like this where the results are just too good to be true, uh, but it reminds us that our assessments are not perfect, our research is not perfect, they are all tools and paradigms for trying to capture what's going on with people, and people are so complex, so it's really hard to make things black and white. But that being said, I hope that as we look at research each week that you are seeing trends and growing in your confidence about clinical reasoning when approaching this research and how to apply it. Because at the end of the day, your skill of clinical reasoning is what our patients need most. 
And in my opinion, as clinicians, it is a skill that we should all be looking to sharpen. And I really hope that this podcast and our online journal club has been a tool to help you do so. That is all I have on this article for the week. Again, I am not an expert in everything. I would love to hear from therapists who have actually worked with Project Play or have familiarity with the ADOS assessment and to just chime in on some of these larger trends and paradigms that we talked about here on the podcast today. As a reminder, the OT Potential Podcast is an extension of the OT Potential Club. The OT Potential Club is your online journal club. Each week in the club, I publish a written article discussion that includes all the links you'll need to dive deeper into the different aspects of occupational therapy that were brought up by the article. And hopefully this written breakdown serves as a discussion point for our forum. This is really the heart of the OT Potential Club, where therapists chime in on what they're seeing in their practice and how that relates to the article. And I'm so thankful to the many occupational therapists and occupational therapy assistants who have taken part in our forum and the thoughtfulness and responses has just really blown me away. So thank you to all of you who participate in our forum. You can sign in or sign up for the OT Potential Club at otpotential.com. I want to thank you for joining me today and I hope you give great care this week.